Hey, good morning, everybody. It's Sherry from The Writing Glitch. It is great to be with you today. Hey, I'm an occupational therapist and a dysgraphia expert. I am here today with Marie Lewis. And I've got to say, Marie was a facilitator in my life that totally changed my life. She is the owner of or the founder or executive director, I think is the right way to put it, of the National Special Education Advocacy Institute. She is the parent of an autistic child who is now an adult, but this was the facilitator of her getting really into the world of special education because before that, I believe if I remember correctly, Marie, you were an ICU nurse. Am I right? Yes, I was an ICU nurse and a hospital administrator. And I have two children with autism, one of them adopted, and I never expected to be in the special education arena ever. <laughs> so welcome to the ever. podcast, Marie. <laughs> Thank you for changing my thought process on what an occupational therapist should look like in the school-based setting. Thank you so much for being here today. And I want to ask you, how are you really? I'm doing great. I, I'm out there teaching special education advocates nationally in a board certification program. And it means that we're changing lives every single day, helping parents get the services they need for their children. And that's a mission from the heart. As you feel the calling to become a special education advocate professionally, come our way. I'll have a cup of tea with you. Coffee matcha tea, whatever you want. <laughs> Fabulous. I love spending time with you. Your dinners are amazing. So that you recall those. That's been a while, hasn't it? Going out to it dinner. Has. We have good dinners. We have very good dinners. <laughs> yes, we do. <laughs> yeah. Before we really go into the interview, I just want to recognize Dutter Educational Consulting. It is our mission to help teachers, parents, and therapists raise the next generation of leaders by hacking the barriers to writing success. I would love it if you guys could join me in Texas on July 19th. I will be a keynote presenter for the Summer Dyslexia Institute with Region 10 right outside Dallas. I believe it's up in Plano. And I will be also speaking with John Lee Zupanzik, and we are the co-authors of Math Disconnected. I also want to share kudos to some amazing people, and they have no idea that this is happening, but one of the things that I have chosen to do is anybody who asks for a signed copy of my book through my website, sherrydotter.com, I am donating that $5 differential to the International Dyslexia Association, Pennsylvania branch. And these are the folks in 2022 that provided that extra $5. And they didn't even know it at the time. They just thought they were getting a signature. But I just wanted to share their names. Jennifer Griffin, Chris Hill, Julia Dunlap, Meredith Foster, Maruxa Murphy, Zara Young. Melissa Harborer, MC Paul, and Patricia Keenan. Again, that's at 
sherrydaughter.com if you want to get a signed copy and be mentioned in the podcast. Marie, we've already talked about that you came from the world of healthcare. You were an administrator and an ICU nurse. And we also mentioned that you are a parent of two autistic children. Tell me, what did that look like early on and how did NSEAI, the National Special Education Advocacy Institute, really get started? Go back to the beginning and tell us the story. Sure. I was had a child who was, my oldest son is was not reading. And I was using, I didn't, back then I didn't know who to use. And I was using a lawyer and I used advocates and I was getting nowhere, absolutely nowhere. And he wasn't reading and he wasn't speaking well. I had already taught him to decode at the fifth grade level. By the third grade, he was decoding at the fifth grade level. And, but in fifth grade, he had a pre-primer comprehension level. And you'd think as an administrator- okay, stop a second. Yes. Like you're talking all these terms and I'm gonna, I bet you, nobody understands what you mean. You're decoding at fifth grade, but you got a pre-primer level. Can you? Yes. Take a second and explain that. (laughs) Sure. He's decoding. So he's able to say the words. He's able to read out loud. He's able to say the words and do the oral reading, but he doesn't have the comprehension of what he's reading. He was pre-primer. It was before kindergarten level of comprehension. He could read the words as if it was Chinese. He could read the words out loud, but he didn't have the comprehension to go along with it. And I'm being an administrator at the University of Penn Hospital and, and, and also an ICU nurse, And you'd think I'd have the answers. You'd think I didn't fall for all the rigmarole at the IEP table. I couldn't get the answers. I asked everybody. I was asking lawyers. I was asking advocates. I was hiring them. But I didn't get it. I went out and I took 60 seminars, 60 special ed seminars across the country to figure it out. 60? Six zero. That's insane. It was. There was nowhere to go. But yet on the same idea... You were that parent who was relentless. You have that perseverance, that grit, that motivation. You were determined to help your child. Wow. And what I learned is that I didn't need to learn about necessarily reading. I didn't need to learn about decoding. I didn't need to learn about, I didn't need to learn to learn how to put the IV in. I needed to learn how an IEP should be written. That's what I needed to learn. I didn't need to learn how to do due process. I didn't need to learn that. The IEP was not an illegal IEP. It wasn't something I needed to go to due process about. It was that the IEP was not developed correctly. I didn't have the data I needed. And so it wasn't valid for due process. I needed to learn what should be in the IEP and what should be evaluated by the psychologist. I'm going to pause you because my brain just went, wait a minute, your IEP was not suitable for due process because you didn't have the data. I I just wanted to sit sit on that a minute. Yes, it was legally sufficient. And so I didn't have a case. I kept spending money and advocates weren't helping me and lawyers were not helping me. And my son was basically sitting there never learning. Because I think that's happening a lot with parents 
it's happening all over the place that you have IEPs that aren't sufficient for due process. And, oh, wow. Nobody knows how to develop the IEP. That's what education advocates should be doing. They're not there to do due process. They're not there to write briefs. They're not there to hold your hand. They're not there to be parent buddies. They're there to show you how to write the IEP and write it correctly and get you the data that you need. And I wasn't stupid. I was. I didn't know that I, what I didn't know. But what I found out what should have been evaluated by the school psychologist and wasn't. That's what I learned in one of the seminars. And then what was research-based and what wasn't? They were throwing eclectic material, remediation material at my son, which is basically throwing spaghetti at the wall and finding out what would stick. And instead of using research material and finding out what was appropriate for him, I found out what the clinicians at my son's IEP meetings should have been doing and weren't. And I think that they didn't know what they didn't know either. Oh, they knew. They called them okay. on it. Just like okay. I call you on stuff. I called yeah, you, you on stuff at the your class on the classes. You were one of the most brilliant students I had. Oh, bless you. <laughs> you knew your stuff. You were you were really child focused at those courses, and you were always looking at the future. How can I be more child focused? And But they weren't. They were looking at just getting through. And mm-hmm. I learned what a child-focused, data-driven IEP was in those 60 seminars. I really did. And I refused to give up on my child. I had letters from a school psychologist that actually said the following words, that he was not educatable and needed to be institutionalized. And by the way, this is from a main line outside of Philadelphia, very wealthy area school district that has money. This is not from Pinbuktu, okay? This made no sense to me because as a nurse, I had been head of a rehab center and everyone is able to learn, everyone. So I found an error in their approach and my son learned to read and talk. He did because I would not give up. Despite the school fighting with me all the way, we had nine IEPs in one year. They loved me. And we were not even disagreeing with each other. They just didn't want to do what they needed to do. We were just modifying his program so it would work for him. It wasn't that we needed to go to due process. They needed to get the IEP right. They needed to get it right. And that's what education advocates need to do. They need to know their stuff. They need to know how to develop IEPs. And that's what NSCAI does. Tell us a little bit more about NSCAI. Now, we have the background. What's different about your program versus some of the other programs that are out there that are teaching advocates? One is we came together as a group of professional advocates. We were all sitting at a seminar in the back of the room as five lawyers were actually presenting on a topic. And they each gave five different answers and all of us looked at each other and they said, those answers are wrong. And we all looked at each other and were just like flabbergasted because none of us would have done any of those answers in an IEP meeting. And they all turned to me and said, you have to write the course. And I went, no, I'm not writing the course. And they all took me to a Chinese dinner 
And we wrote the coursework, the actual syllabus for the course on four Chinese napkins, which I still to this day have been looking for. I was dying to know where they are, but we've moved. I don't know where they are. The most brilliant business plans are written on a napkin at a dinner. Well, and we put the courses together to teach the advocates how to professionally and effectively write IEPs. It included every component of the IEP development. And you need to remember that 85% of the people at the IEP meeting, it's not lawyers, it's clinicians. They're clinicians. There's two educators, and then there's a whole bunch of clinicians. Going to due process did not work unless you already have the data that you know and you need and what what you already want that works. Because the lawyer's got to, you go in the lawyer's office, and I work with lawyers every day, educational lawyers. And by the way, I have three educational lawyers that are my clients. <laughs> they hire me to get their IEPs. They go, you go into a lawyer's office and they go, what do you want? Hello, you're there going, you're going in there because you want them to tell you. That's like going into the doctor's office and saying, what do you do for this piece of bone sticking out of my arm? (laughs) Yes, exactly. You've taken this course, Sherry. I've heard some of these stories and they're bringing back (laughs) memories. Aren't they? (laughs) This is not a program for parent buddies. This is not about, I want to do process. I'm an advocate. No, you're not. This is not about IEP coaching where I coach from the sidelines. This is about knowing how to actually facilitate IEP development for parents. This is a professional educational advocacy program. This is a program that views educational advocacy as an actual profession. And it provides the only, only homogeneous professional association for educational advocacy. And nurses and doctors, we have board certifications out the kazoo. We have any kind of imaginable number of them. We know what board certification means. And we did this professionally and as a profession. And NSCAI is able to provide a legitimate national board certification program for the profession of educational advocacy. We've been offering this for over 13 years. It's a program in special educational advocacy. You can go to nseai.org and look at the full syllabus of each course, and it lists an incredible um, knowledge and all the successful strategies you have. It's offered in a 12-day program on the webinar, and you can take it in your pajamas now at your own pace. That didn't happen when I took it. No, I tortured you all and at your own schedule, and it is available for over a full year for you to review after you take it. You can keep reviewing it after you take it. Teachers, special ed directors, parents, lawyers, clinicians all take this. We have had certifications in continuing ed for all those professions. And it's the fastest and most direct and efficient path to becoming a professional special education advocate. And finally, you you are paying for the knowledge that is comprehensive and works and is for those who want to actually achieve what they want to achieve as education advocates. We even offer a 48-hour money-back guarantee. Who else does that? But spaces are limited every year. It's nseai.org, and you can call us, discuss it, have a cup of tea with us. And that's what we do. We don't do legal briefs. We don't go to due process. We're absolutely not a gotcha 
kind of approach. We're collaborative. Most of our staff has taken the other programs, and it's a unique cross-training program. It's both the legal, clinical, and educational aspects of IEP development. And we, why would you ask a lawyer to address dysgraphia, sensory reading, behavior, or math issues? Really? They don't know what that is unless they have a kid at home who's suffering from it. And right. then they don't and know they, what to do about it. And they have their place. I use them all the time. I absolutely use them all the time for what they're supposed to be used for. But it's not in the development of the IEP. You need professional IEP development experts and as educational advocates. And that's what IEP IEP development experts do is get the parents to have informed consent as to what's going on and get the child, the IEP to be child focused and make sure that parents know what the options are, really what their options are. I didn't know what my options are, were, excuse me, back then. I didn't know. Those 60 seminars told me I could ask for certain things that I didn't know. Now, remember, you need to do this fast when you're doing your IEP development. I'm not talking about taking the course. I'm talking about you need to know how to develop that IEP correctly. Because if you, as you remember, we had a prominent neuropsychologist come in and she said, if your child is one year behind, it takes two years to catch up. And two years behind, it takes five years to catch up both academically and functionally. If yeah, you and I to- use... Yeah, yeah, I use that that particular scenario when I'm talking with folks today. Now, I'm going to step back in time a little bit because I did get certified. I went through the practicum. I took the program and I was advocating for a child that was down in the main area, main line off of outside Philadelphia. And I had a supervisor with me who had gone through the course before me. And then I participated as a staff advisor. I'm not quite sure. I wasn't really a staff person. I was all volunteer. And then I was out on my own. Is that still the path that people take after they've taken the 12 classes? They still have to take a practicum with a supervisor and eventually get out on their own. How does that work at this point? You can still take an independent practicum or you can do it with someone else. It's the number of cases that you do and you submit your practicum hours. So that that's part of the process. And those practicum hours are based on three different levels, consultant, diplomat, or fellow level based on your education. You can enter at the most basic level as a consultant with not with no education behind you. You can be a high school graduate or not a high school graduate to do it, or you could be at a master's or PhD level, fellow level, and do it at that level. And there's different requirements for each level. So you would be required to to have different levels of practicum in each level. That did change since I think you've been there. That's the difference. I remember the levels, but I I wasn't clear anymore about what that meant. I'm thinking about myself and my travel through this process. I was sitting in class number five. Class number five is about related services. And I had this aha moment about lunchtime. And I think you saw it on my face that day. (laughs) 
And I want to say exactly what was going on in my head, but I can't. It was OS. What have I been doing as an OT in the schools for the last five years? I have not been doing my job. And I think that is been, that was like the start of this precipice of where I am today. Because I realized at that moment that OT, speech therapy, physical therapy, school psychology, guidance counselors could be doing so much more for these students than they are in this box that the world has put them in. It's rehab. We come from a rehab perspective and it's to rehab rehabilitation so that the child can access their education. And it doesn't mean that their education is in a box in a room in the back of the school called special ed because education does not special ed does not occur in a place. It occurs across environments and it occurs across all environments. It occurs across all community environments. It requires generalization across all environments. People say, no, it doesn't. It's only in the school. No, it's not. My IEPs, the IEPs for my children occur across environments. I have home programs. I have community programs, et cetera. I have those children are supported across all those environments. And they're like, how did you do that? I read the regs and I, because we don't do the law. We're not lawyers. We implement the regulations. And we also implement what the Department of Education for each state, because each state implements, they're pretty close, by the way, because it's federal law. The regulations are almost the same. We implement what they say we're supposed to do for each of the children. And it's a comprehensive educational programming that we're supposed to provide to them. And it means that they must be functional. It doesn't say that they're only supposed to read and write for special ed. And when I look at OT, are you kidding me? I have to thank you, Sherry, because, you know, you've listened for you listening to your blessed calling and helping children with dysgraphia because my son had dysgraphia and I know your programming is life altering and is saving children from emotional difficulty with lowest self-esteem, being bullied and distressed. And unless we address those things directly, it's not going in and fighting with the OT. It's saying you are a valued member of this IEP team. I need your services because you are helping this child be functional. I need your expertise. I need your brain. Please help me show me how you can bring this child's functional ability to this level. And you got to go back to the evaluation. Remember the educational needs. How can it's been identified in the RR? That's your tool your reevaluation, your evaluation. And if you don't have the right testing, educational advocates, if you didn't ask for the right testing, you're not going to get the services. And if you get the right testing, you're going to get the services. I learned to ask for the right testing. And then all of a sudden there, they're stuck with it. They're stuck with an evaluation that says, Ooh, they have a deficit here. There's an educational need here. Oh, darn it. Now I have to address it. And it's their own documents, darn it. And now their OT has to address it because we got them to do an evaluation on their own terms 
not an independent one. And it's, hello, there you go. And their OT has to address it. There's one thing that I often talk about with my therapists that have been training under me. And oh, I thought you were like a therapist. Yeah. No, my <laughs> therapists that are training under me, oh, they're OTs. And I get teachers as well. But when I'm talking to the OTs, I say, when was the last time you addressed sleep? We can't do that no. in school-based therapy. And I'm like, what do you mean you can't? Yes, you can. And I talk about it. It's no, we're not discussing whether they slept or not. We're talking, we're educating the parent on if they don't go to sleep by nine o'clock, what's yep. going to happen? How, what are some strategies for you to take the lights out of the room and get the melatonin levels where they need to be? What are some of the positionings that need to happen with those kids to help them? And OTs look at me like deer in headlights. What are you talking about? I know, <laughs> I know. But you know what? If you must to be, we must all be special ed advocates, no matter who we are. And mm-hmm. every time we witness an injustice and do not act, we train our character to be a passive in the presence of injustice, and therefore we eventually lose the ability to defend ourselves and those we love. And I look at it that way. This is a social justice issue. I left nursing to do this. I left administration. I make a whole lot of money making going back to a hospital administration, by the way, and that versus training these advocates. Seriously, the issue is that it's a social justice piece. And I still have my own private practice. I continue to do, have clients for who I take care of and their IEPs across the country. And even though I'm based out here outside of Philadelphia, but the you can't stand in the sight of injustice like this and not respond. It's just terrible. You can't. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, can. Absolutely. And you actually did a training for us on sensory and it was brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. And that right. was a really bad, I'm sorry, but that was a really bad presentation that day that has gotten much better with time. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, you're so funny. <laughs> so maybe I need to come back and re- and re- and redo it again. But I think that you do. I think you but do. that was some of the st- the stimulus behind where I am today was having that realization sitting in the class on related services and going through the practicum and and going through and learning that IEPs are beyond the classroom, and one of the things that absolutely got me personally. And I think this was happening around the same time that I was taking the class. And I had a whole bunch of standard scores that were 86 on my son's evaluation, plus a whole bunch of gifted level. Right. Nothing was below the 85 on the standard score, which put him in this, he doesn't qualify. And I could not have a, she would not do it. The school psychologist would not sit down with me and talk to me. She made the special ed director come and all I could do was cry because they refused to help because he got an 86 or above. Remember I was, how I taught you how that even though the score was an 86, not that I use that number, but that yeah. we could address those issues because of 
functional ability and that you take good data on functional ability. And if you can't do it functionally, darn it, I was going to swear, but darn it, you go in the side door from a behavior. If it's going to just call it behavior, if you can't do it from a functional ability, he must be refusing, which is not true because it's a functional ability. And you take it from a functional perspective and you take that data and then they have to address it. If I can't go in one door, I do the functional and then they have to take a functional assessment. And then they, if you can't do that, you say, golly gee, he must be refusing. Oh my golly gee. And then they go, it's not a behavior. Then it must be functional. And you keep going back and forth. And until you just wear them down and until they just go, oh my gosh, fine. I'll make a goal. Go away. I went away and I found him a new school. (laughs) I was a little dramatic, but okay. (laughs) But I hope that story helps somebody out in the audience who is struggling right now. And they reach out to NSEAI because it was my understanding of what the IEP was supposed to look like. And the fact that he didn't get one is beside the point. The point is, it is supposed to, we're supposed to be able to help these kids from 12 a.m. to 11.59 p.m. because their education isn't school-driven. It's it's environment-driven. And we need to look at children as a whole. So that is why I brought Marie on today because she has a gift. And it was facilitated and the precipice was that she lived through it. And I learned because I was arrogant and she put me in my place. And I have realized that we did, we did. (laughs) And you did it kindly. You did it with constructive discipline, but... What I want to, I'm trying to really say here is there, there's parts of therapy that are being missed Mm -hmm. that we really need to think about. And when I was looking at a handwriting curriculum and looking at function and looking at what the teachers understood, I saw this huge hole, this gap in this triangle going, wait a minute. What, how can we close this hole, this gaping hole? This tunnel needs to be closed because there's no reason for the, this open hole here. And that is why I'm doing what I'm doing today. And I got to thank you, Marie, publicly because you were the precipice to me going, oh, but I need to step back one more part behind that. I also want to thank you for giving me the opportunity and saying yes to Tina DeLong to bring me along. Because if it wasn't for the relationship I had with Tina, we would not have met. And Tina, if you're out there, if you hear this, thank you for helping me see beyond what I understood back in those days. Oh, Tina rocks. Absolutely. So we remember... You know that you got to improve your IEP outcomes. And if you want to advance your, use those advanced advocacy tools, you got to be child focused and have a child focused attitude. You got to have IEP preparation and participation so that parents are equal 
members of the IEP team. And you got to have the momentum for your child's progress so you close the educational gap. That's what NSEAI does for you. Thank you. I'm trying to hold the tears back, girl. Okay. I have a gift (laughs) for you, by the way. Oh, no. Yes, I do. And for your group. Oh, thank you. I prepared an ebook for you. You did? Is that what you have for free? Yes, I do. I was just getting to that point right now. I wanted to find out a little bit about what it is that, how people can reach out for you. And what is this ebook you're talking about? (laughs) I prepared 20 questions, 20 IEP questions to ask at the IEP table and have them all on the floor crying. Going, what? What? (laughs) Wow. These are the questions that every single advocate asks board-certified educational advocates should ask across the country. And we give this out to the advocates now in their, as in, a, in their courses now so that they can get the IEP right from the start. I have a limited time. I have it up on the web for you guys. It's, you can download the ebook for them. And it's to identify the educational areas and needs, the baselines, and to make sure that the goals are actually addressing the actual area of educational need. Because my son's goal was about his decoding, but his area of need was about comprehension. Constantly, his goal was being met because his decoding was perfect, but he didn't have a comprehension goal. For years, he kept mastering his goal, and he never was making any gains in his reading. But NSEAIR blogs always have, every so often, not always, but on a regular basis, we have major, major handouts in our blogs. And Jay is always giving those away, which she's not supposed to, but she does. She's amazing. No, I have this. <laughs> what? MJ is amazing. <laughs> yeah, she is. Yeah, yeah, she's cool. So, so where do they find that freebie, that, that okay. ebook? It's www.nseai.org backslash 20. IEP questions. Fabulous. Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, So fabulous. How long will that be available in case somebody listens to this a year from now? I'll keep it up for six months. Okay. Because it will be just up for you guys. Yeah, they will keep it up. She will keep it up up. through the end of December. Thank you. Thank you so much, Marie. We are at the point in the episode where I talk about an intervention, and I think I've already mentioned the intervention, and that is some accommodations that you can do for sleep. And one of the things that I like to talk about with sleep and kids, especially kids that have anxiety issues, and that is conscious breathing, where you're consciously breathing in for four, you're holding it, give a little extra inhale. Hold it again and then breathe out slowly twice as long as it as you were breathing in. If you're breathing in for a count of four, you're breathing out for a count of eight. That way you're getting rid of all the carbon dioxide in your system. You're bringing, you're allowing the path for breath of breath for fresh oxygen to be implemented in or in intake into your lungs so that can get distributed because your brain functions on oxygen and glucose. If you don't have the oxygen and you don't have the glucose, your brain needs to be refueled. 
Sleep is one of those things. And I know a lot of kids with special needs have difficulty with sleep. Think about conscious breathing as a way of meditating and see if your kids can start at a minute, increase it to two, increase it to 10. Some people will go as long as 20 minutes, but that's for a kid. I think that's an eternity. If you can get a kid consciously breathing for a minute to five minutes, you will change their behavior and their function. Any thoughts about that one, Miss Marie? No, but I have an advocacy tip for you. You go for it. Let's hear it. I have one that says, what research-based programming will be used to remediate my child's deficit? And that's what you ask. And then you ask, why is it being used? Why? And why does this intervention address my child's specific needs? And is it going to be used with fidelity? How is it prescribed? How is it supposed to be used? And is it described and noted in the specially designed instruction? And if not, why not? And then you have your case manager note that you requested that the research-based instruction be used and that it be put in your parent input that you asked that the above quest the above questions. All right. I always love that. And I'm thinking about all the things that I'm doing and then and the new action research that I've been participating in that needs to get out there in some kind of documentation somewhere, some research study. But I've been doing a lot of action research on bilateral integration and mm. the functions of where we're going. And I've actually discovered three different levels of inter- bilateral integration. And we'll have to talk about those sometime. But yeah, right now we're... Way. Yeah, we are we are running out of time for the podcast. I just want to close here by saying that our podcast releases on the second and fourth Tuesday of each month. If you haven't already done subscribe, please subscribe so you get notified when the episode does go live. It's on Apple, it's on Google, it's on Spotify, and many other platforms as well. And if you go to thewritingglitch.com, click on the community button that's at the top menu. You can join the community for free. And inside there, you will get, have, can kind of have conversations with other folks about an IEP question. I am not the only one. I do not want to be the only one that is facilitating those questions. Please ask your questions. And remember, you were put here for such a time as this. Post podcast production is managed by Sam C Productions. Have a wonderful day. Thank you for coming on, Marie. It was great to have you here. Great to see you. Always. Take care, Sherry. 